0: Hello and welcome to the Law in Sport podcast with me, Sean Cottrell, the founder and CEO of Law in Sport. Now, before we get into the interview with our guest today, uh, it should be said that this podcast was recorded before the 1st of December when the FA, the Premier League, and the EFL announced that they'd agreed a plan for entry requirements for overseas players post Brexit that's now been approved by the Home Office. Now, there is a link to an article that Stephen, who's the guest of the podcast, has literally just written hot off the press that covers uh, a detailed analysis of the changes. However, it should be said that the content of the podcast is still very relevant. It discusses the implications of these changes, what the old system was, what the new system is, what the pros and cons are of each. So I hope you enjoy it. It was a bit of a future gazing podcast, but it turns out that a lot of it was right. So I hope you enjoy it. And thanks so much for tuning in. Now, there's obviously been a lot of things for the sports sector to deal with over the last few months. Um, But if you're unfortunate enough, like me, to live in the United Kingdom, uh, we've got more turmoil to come uh, with Brexit right upon us. And for this podcast... I thought it'd be great to bring in a friend of mine, Stephen O'Flaherty, who is a top immigration lawyer but just happens to have uh, a stellar roster of clients in the in the sports sector, fashion, entertainment, and technology sectors. Stephen, thanks so much for joining us today. Now you're one of the people that I go to on on anything in relation to immigration issues, uh, you know, bringing and recruiting talent and we've had, you know, loads of discussions around uh, this over the years. Um I wanted to chat with you as recently there was an article by Mike Keegan at the Sports Mail discussing the negotiations that have been taking and seems to be quite a detailed article on negotiations going on between the FA and the Premier League and then a proposal that would go to uh, the Home Office following uh, or in the build-up to Brexit uh, for approval in terms of... uh, the movement of players from Europe in or inside and outside of Europe. Could you uh, provide some background or just give your perspective on that? I I know that you've seen the article.
1: Yeah. So, um, thanks for having me first of all. Um, but yeah, so I saw the article, I mean, there's been a number of articles um, that have kind of touched on it. I think from the moment that Brexit became a, you know, a thing and something that was going to happen, there was always going to have to be some amendment to the rules around transferring players in, um, I think one of the articles referred to, you know, a, a, the bitter dispute between the FA and the Premier League. Um, and I think that's just because a a, a sensible negotiation doesn't, doesn't get as many clicks or doesn't sell as many papers. Um from what I can tell, it's been just, you know, two bodies with competing interests trying to find the solution and and ultimately it's going to be the Home Office that approves this new criteria um in any event. And I think that's something that a lot of industries and and you know we like to think the football is special and above kind of general rules nobody looks at a at a, a match day squad and thinks i wonder did that guy have to apply for a visa or you know that's 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 news to me <laughs> i know but I, I remember a few years ago seeing a uh, one of the one of the kind of um processing hubs for visas that kind of does things pretty quickly and is really flexible is through through paris so you often see pictures of Players hanging around Paris for one or two days after a transfer, and it's like the article is like, "Oh, Paris Saint-Germain due to scoop for ex-player." And It's like it's not; they're they're just applying for a visa. It's it's nothing. It's nothing sensational, I'm afraid.
0: I'm so glad you didn't go into
1: journalism, by the way. I'm sorry because <laughs> it would have made for a, a dull read. I, yeah, yeah, you should see some of my opinion pieces. Uh, that's why I never do articles for you, Sean. Um, <laughs> the um yeah so like at one of the reasons is um the, the sector was going to have to change um the premier league and the fa obviously have competing interests the system is twofold the premier league obviously want to ensure that they continue to have the top product what i what i think is is still the top product for football leagues um in in probably in world football it's the most um, exciting it gets the most coverage but also the fa want to protect the domestic system and they also want to ensure this the number of players coming through academies and are eligible for the for the national team um, remains strong, and that they're not flooded out by, you know, substandard talent coming through. So there has to be a bar um, on on the skill level. And
0: and so so it might be worth it, it might be worth uh, for those people that aren't familiar with the system, um, uh, for you to quickly run through what the current system is now and what what these proposed changes are um, and how that may influence the football market.
1: So so initially so the interestingly the very first when I first started getting involved in this was probably about nine years ago and it was the pre pre the current system which is the 2014 system and it was a pretty straightforward system it was if your if your country was ranked in uh, the FIFA top 70 ranked countries um, over a two year period and you had appeared in 70% of the senior international games then you were automatically qualified. If you didn't qualify for the governing body endorsement, which is more commonly known as a work permit, um, it's what people will call a work permit still, but it's a, it's a governing body endorsement. Um, and once you have the governing body endorsement, that enables you to apply for the visa under tier two or tier five sports person. But once you got the GB under the old system, it was straight to application or else you had an appeal. Now, the old school appeal was I only actually, I only ever actually got to do three of them under the old system, which was you turned up to Wembley with team manager and you turned up with the technical director, maybe one of the recruitment people and generally the club secretary and you presented to a panel and it was generally, you know, there was, there was some paperwork, but it was generally on the manager saying, this is the player. This is where he fits into my system. This is how we scouted him. Um, you know, this is why I think he's better than what we currently have. Um, it's also better than what we could recruit from the internal market. It was actually, you know, it was, it was quite a pleasant experience. for from a from a legal perspective, it was very much going in, watching a video of a player and having a manager talk about a player, and you're kind of thinking, this is, you know, this isn't work. This is just somebody explaining to me something that I really want to see anyway. But at the time, the FA felt that there was a bit too much um, influence by 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 managers. Um, you know, you have a, a very strong, charismatic or you know, a manager with a really good reputation turning up to the FA panel explaining this fair. It, it, it was easy enough to sway, not easy enough to sway, but it was, they can make a very compelling argument and, you know, there was nothing to really say that the skill level was too was too subjective. So in 2014, they introduced the new system, uh, which is the current system that we have now. And it was also to take into account that, you know, if you're FIFA ranked one to 10, but you're not playing 70%, it doesn't necessarily mean you're not, and the elite international. So the overarching criteria for this whole system is that the player is um, internationally established at the highest level, their employment will make a significant contribution to the development of football at the highest level in England. So that's your overarching criteria, that's your starting point, and that's what you should be working towards. Um, so the new system in, in 2014 kind of took that into account and said, let's have a sliding scale. So if you're FIFA ranked one to 10, 11 to 20, 31 to 50. And uh, if you're outside 50, it has to be an appeal to the exceptions panel. So that took into account. So, you know, when you, t- when you think of some of the Brazilian players or Colombian players that had to go through the exceptions panel process, you know, you have players who've been playing in the Premier League for five or six years now or more or six, seven years more who had to go through an, an exceptions panel because they weren't internationally established at the highest level, even though they'd played 10, 15 times for Brazil and they're in competition for the same place. With you know, at one time you would have had William, Oscar, um, uh, Felipe, Coutinho, Neymar, all all vying for the same position, probably for Brazil. And you know, you can't say that just because they haven't played seventy percent that they're not an elite international. So this sliding scale took, so that sliding scale took that into account, um, and it also reduced it. So once you were outside the top fifty, it had to be an appeal to the exceptions panel. Then the criteria for the exceptions panel, which is what we have now, it's evolved a little bit, obviously. Uh, it's been tweaked o- over time as, as you kind of found little loopholes that, that, that were then closed. Um, but yeah, it, it evolved over time. But the, the, the current system was um, if you had to pay a transfer, if you were going to pay a transfer fee over a certain amount and you were going to pay a salary over a second amount, a certain amount, you would get points for that. Then you would also get points for if they, they were transferring from what was deemed to be a top league. Um, Or if they had played in a continental competition, so Europa League, um, Champions League or Copa Libertadores. Um, And obviously, so the top league was calculated based on the leagues that provide the most players to the top 20 squads in the aggregated FIFA rankings. The qualifying transfers was an average of all the transfers to Premier League clubs in the previous seasons. And the qualifying wages was the basic wage paid to the top 30 earners in the Premier League. So that's how these were calculated. And so actually over time, for, I think in 2014, the, you could get two points for uh, if you were paying a transfer fee of 4.75 million. In 20, in the window just closed to get two points, you would have had to be paying a transfer fee of 12 million to get the same two points. And that's simply just because it's 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 all the transfers to Premier League clubs in the previous season. So you have your Pogba's, your Lukaku's, your Kepa's, these guys, the value of their transfers obviously drove up the minimum level. And so it started, in my mind anyway, um, it started to become a little bit like you were, you know, it was certainly uh, uh, favoring the bigger clubs because, you know, Man United, Chelsea, Man City, they're going to be paying 12 million. They're going to be paying a minimum salary of the £43,000 per week. So in my mind, it was, you know, it was kind of ruling out the, the lower clubs and I remember we had one club um, who had started the first day of their season with eight British players and they had they were looking to sign one non-European player at the time. And it was the the hoops that they had to jump to to try and prove that they needed this player was so much more significant than, you know, if they were going to a top top club. And also we had one case in the last couple of years where a club was in. They came to saying we've negotiated a really good price of seven and a half million for the player. Uh, we're going to be paying him the the minimum tr- salary, and we had to turn around. They, he won't get a trans- he won't get a governing body endorsement unless the transfer fee is at the time a minimum of ten saying, but he's the same. He's the same. He's the same player now as he will as he will be in ten minutes um, when we when we increase the transfer fee.
0: And, and that's really interesting because you know all this conversation at the moment around cost controls, uh, agents, regulations, caps, and it's one of those things that's really never discussed which is you know the inflationary effect of having a a points based system on how much you pay a player right which is just really interesting
1: yeah and and i think you know the strongest exceptions panel's applications always included some element of a fo- the footballing ability if you i always said if you were going to the exceptions panel with just a transfer fee and wages but the player wasn't coming from a top league or hadn't played in continental competition and there was no other like exceptional criteria that suggested that this player was an elite international. Then you were you were kind of on the back foot, and you would be kind of you'd, you'd struggle to get it. There was you know again, there's always exceptions where you can because you can always use subjective criteria. that Says you know uh, the players come through uh, international level at a junior age. They were previously in a continental competition, but they've just transferred. You know we had a very interesting one last year where the player went to a second division team in uh, in Europe. But had played in the top division, was only 21, was a really good player and, and had done really well in that second division. But actually, would have had a stronger application, you know, six months prior when he was playing in uh, Copa Libertadores, playing in um, a top or a secondary league, than he was transferring from the second division. So you always have to make that application, and, and you know, he got it eventually. Um, he didn't actually sign, but he got he got the GB
0: and again for those people who aren't familiar with the process what would happen is if the you know the club have got a player they're trying to target ideally you know and we spoke about this before you'd want to be in contact with the with the, with the club to make sure that they you know that they've they're fulfilling all that criteria before they make an offer
1: yeah well uh, the um, the contract can't be subject to the work permit but i think definitely we have found over the last number of years that we're we're kind of moving back a stage in the recruitment process all the time. So I think initially we would have dealt a lot with the club secretary and um maybe in-house counsel if 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 that's who's running the process. But over the last couple of years, I think I've probably dealt more with the analysts, the recruitment people, probably one step in from the scouting, the the international scouts, because you still want your scouts to scout the best talent in the world because there could there can always be an exception they can they up to now they could hold a european passport or they could be qualify for uk ancestry or there could be some other reason so you still want your scouts to scout the best players in the world it's kind of when it comes in a layer to the club when the club start looking at it as a realistic transfer then that's when you want to kind of say actually let's before we before we focus too much time on this player let's make sure that we can we can actually get them and get them a work permit and I think, you know, we, we do kind of opinions on players and we work with clubs to kind of maybe focus their recruitment on the players that they will realistically be able to get. So if they've got 10 targets for the summer, we can look at them now and say, well, you know, this five will qualify for a work permit, this five won't. So, you know, you know don't waste your time on those right now. Maybe they're ones to track. These are the five that you want to be looking at now.
0: I was just, I was just going to say that then, so well, what, what, what does the future hold? force um yeah come January
1: yeah so I mean I think just I mean to take it take it back a step the um well I mentioned that start you know we love to think the football is this special sector that will have a, a carve out whereby footballers will be exempt from Brexit or exempt from this new rules but you know I think you have to remember this is an immigration process and it's not it's not defined by by football and the home office were very clear from the outset that there will be no sector specific exemptions for um for for any for any sector and you know you, you can see it if if football was to have a carvet and say we can sign whoever we like then you're going to have banking and finance and professional services and insurance going well wait a second we want, we want that as well and the whole you know brexit was never going to be was never going to be changed in that much detail you know be, the Home Office haven't had a chance to, you know, really uh, look at any sector specific stuff that that closely. And, you know, the other thing is, I think football is <clears throat> football and sport in general is actually lucky that it does have this opportunity through the immigration rules that it has an opportunity to to um, shape the criteria that will kind of set the skill level and set the bar level. And other sectors don't have that without, you know, specific lobbying for um, for, for exemptions. Um, but under, so under the immigration rules, Appendix M is sets out the list of all the governing bodies. And each governing body will have, in consultation with the Home Office, will set the criteria for the skill level for each sector. So for rugby, for example, um, I haven't I haven't looked at it in, in a while, but it used to be, you know, if you were a Tier 1 nation and you had started a, a, an international in the previous 15 months, you automatically got a, a work permit or a governing body endorsement. Football is obviously a lot more detailed um, and it takes a lot more to, to to work it out thankfully for us um
0: so what what so what do you think the the, sort of the pros and cons are though this um, so sort of just we just talk about actually what the what was discussed in those in in the article and then and then we can talk about the pros and cons
1: so i think so i think it always had it always had to change because you're obviously you're with, with the end of freedom of movement you're obviously losing a massive part of the market where clubs recruited from so i think the benefit the pros are that uh going forward it's going to be easier to recruit so from the 1st of january it's easier to recruit a brazilian national and argentinian national specifically an, Austra- an australian or um american nationals because they automatically meet the english language requirement um but the, so this this the level that the bar has been dropped across the world to meet that requirement so it, the clubs and the and the agents that are actually that embrace this new system the quickest will be at the forefront of the transfer market when it comes to signing players in january and the summer um the new system is from what we can tell it's obviously not been um released yet but from what we can tell from from the articles and the media um and as i'm led to believe they're pretty accurate um it's it's going to be a step away from they're stepping away from the transfer fee and wages which in my mind is good because um while it while it worked for the system at the time, and it worked certainly worked in early 2014, 2015, as a relevant kind of marker of the the, the talent that the club was signing and where they set in in the kind of structure of the club, um, it's going to be more football-based. And let's face it, at the end of the day, what you're trying to prove is that this player is an elite talent established at the highest level, um, and who will be able to come and make a contribution to the development of football in England. And the new system is going to focus more on their footballing history and their footballing CV. So things like it'll still have a sliding scale for international uh, playing minutes, uh, but it will also focus on the quality of the league that the player is transferring from. The, you know, if the club that he's signing from finished the position that they finished in that league. So if they're in one to four, or if they were champions, where they finished in the in the continental competitions or, or the amount of minutes they played in continental competitions. Um, so, so things like the quality of the league, the quality of the selling club, continental competition, progression in continental competitions. There's arguments over including youth internationals and youth appearance minutes. Um, again, that's part of the kind of the, the negotiation between, um, between the Premier League. Again, the Premier League need to be able to ensure that they, that their clubs can recruit the best and most exciting talent, um, which keeps their product strong, um, but also, as I said, the FA uh, historically, whenever you were doing an exceptions panel, if you had a, a 21-year-old or a 22-year-old, you had to make a stronger argument that. So you had to look at your academy and say, "These are the players we have in their academy, and these this is why they're not quite ready to make the step up yet." But this player that we're signing is not blocking their transition into the first team. And again, that's 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 linking back to the fact that this is an immigration. It's it's about numbers. So the Home Office, the Home Office. The Home Office will, you know, the Home Office will look at the numbers and go, this new system that's coming in, will that lead to more or less migrants coming to the UK? And if it's more, they'll say, how many more? And what, where's the skill level? And and let's we have to set the bar at that level. Um, and you know, just in 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 contrast to other industries, you know, there's there's what's known as the shortage occupation list. So the shortage occupation list for immigration is roles in sectors where the Home Office has been lobbied and accepts that it is difficult to find the skills from the settled labor market and there's a shortage occupation list which means that you don't have to do a resident labor market test which has been scrapped now anyway but it's easier to recruit from for a shortage occupation than it is for a non shortage
0: occupation so that be like engineering would that be right like engineering and and doctors
1: a lot of tech roles um a lot of tech roles a lot of engineering roles historically chefs for example and that actually uh, but but very specific chefs. Um, and it actually leads me on to the next point is that the Home Office have said that, yes, there is a shortage occupation list. But if we find that the industry is going to that shortage occupation list too much and hasn't invested in developing graduate recruitment schemes, training programs um, to enable them to recruit from within the UK and upskill people from within the UK, we will take those roles off the shortage occupation list. And similarly, if Football clubs are going to just try and find, you know, say if the bar is set too low for the skill level and all of a sudden you're you're finding players are being are qualifying under the new system coming from, you know, secondary leagues. And just they aren't as they aren't, you know, the, the elite internationals established that at the next review, the Home Office will say, well, we're, we're going to increase the skill level. So I think that's that's where the kind of negotiation was always going to to kind of um there was always going to have to be a, a strong negotiation around that actual bar and skill level, and that's where the home office, or sorry, where the Premier League and, and FA probably.
0: Um. So, 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 what you said then thus far would be that obviously everyone wants to get the sort of the yeah uh, yeah everyone wants to to find that sort of kind of sweet spot where everyone agrees um, a sort of happy outcome for everyone that works uh, and 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 achieves the objective of as you're saying, bringing the right levels of talent in without um, preventing development, uh, domestic development. Also, you mentioned then the fact that they're removing this uh, transfer value, which seems to be, could be very beneficial if, say, for example, the example you gave where essentially a club could save three million pounds in a transfer because they meet all the other criteria, but they're not having to up their fee by three million to get the extra points.
1: Well, this is where, so this, you know, when we're talking about pros and cons, this is where, this is where I, I don't think, you know, a lot of clubs haven't actually engaged with this part of it just yet is that a player. So for example, we looked at a player, a South Korean player, um, over this, over, over the summer for the transfer, for the transfer window. And again, you know, he didn't automatically qualify. Um, and he, he, the club would have had to pay 12 million and pay paid him, him 43,000 a week and it just wasn't the proposal that they were that they were looking at but as a result of the new system and and that bar being lowered across the world so while it's going to be obviously much harder to 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 recruit a european national because freedom of movement has has is taken away there will be value in the kind of less explored areas of the market the the kind of maybe traditionally non-sexy football nations will have seasoned, experienced internationals who will qualify automatically under this process um and this player in for example the south green qualifies quite comfortably um with with under points under under the new system so um yeah it's again you know if if clubs are willing to look at you know egypt iran um certain african nations you know australia um and the u s there's certainly there's certainly on kind of talent that they wouldn't have looked at previously because they wouldn't have qualified under the rules and they can pay, they can pay less transfer fees and they can pay less salaries. And so
0: from, from a a movement of European players, is that, are they still going to, are we still going to see the same type level of numbers? Is it just going to be essentially more time consuming and more difficult to, to, um, to get them in? Or is it, are we actually, do you think we're going to see quite a reduction?
1: Um, I think that there will be a reduction in the there will be a reduction in the players that aren't you know aren't just taking a punt on a player because it's easy enough to sign them Play, clubs will have to consider this process a little bit more carefully because you know there there is a there is a time element but there's also a cost element of you know uh recruiting the player applying for the g b e the visa costs aren't cheap um and as I said because there's an english language requirement for most of the European countries, they'll have to pass an English language test. So a lot more will go into the recruitment process before they actually sign them, and before they come for a medical, than 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 previously. The the, the upside is that you know clubs still need to fill their still still need to fill their squads, and um, you know they they will still need to recruit these players. Um, yeah, I, th- I think I think hopefully you'll see a reduction in the kind of the lesser the, 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 that there will be more of a focus on. <clears throat> bringing through young, young English talent and um, uh, developing spending times in those academies um, than, than historically. And But you will see, um, yeah, I think you will see a reduction overall in the number of European players because, you know, it now doesn't matter if you're French or you're Colombian. So if you're, you know, if the, it, it'll be where the talent is rather than, you know, I think historically clubs would have looked at it and gone, yeah, but, you know, we can just bring this player over in the morning and sign him, and if he's as good, whereas if he doesn't qualify for a GBE, then, then you know, the Colombian player is just going to have to wait it out, and you don't, you know, you don't spend as much time, you, clubs might, you know, historically, they might have brought them into, into a, a Portuguese club or a Belgian club and, you know, tried to build up their minutes there or build up their experience there until they could qualify, um, and that's obviously just not as beneficial anymore.
0: And so that's really interesting with all the other changes around loans that are coming in, cost controls, uh, obviously with the salary caps and everything else. It's kind of like, you know, the harsh economic times that we're going to be under, or the harsher economic times are going to be really, by sound of things, there's going to, it should be focusing, if you take it the right way anyway, it should be focusing everyone's attention on doing what, being more effective with every single decision that is made rather than just, you know, almost having an abundance of cash. Um, you know, or uh, or as you were saying, just on a risk management basis, think, hey, it's worth a punt. You know, no harm done. Really, if we just bring this player in,
1: yeah. But 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 also that idea where you where you think, well, let's let's have a look at the non traditional markets, or or maybe let's have a look at um, you know, let's have a look at countries where historically we mightn't have recruited from because we focused in Europe because it's been easier and the talent's been there. You know, we can. There is value in other markets and you know we've we've done exercises with clubs in the past where we've monitored players that they've looked at until they've become automatic so not to go into too much detail on it but i used to i probably have them here somewhere all highlighted up if you look at the fifa rankings over the last couple of over the years so the fifa rankings are constantly updated but the the required percentage of uh senior competitive international games is based on where you sit in the FIFA rankings, and clubs move outside the FIFA rankings all the time, so you you could have the club, so for example japan we're all, we're kind of always teetering on the edge of the fifty, and we I had monitored that they would have been in orange quite a lot, but then if you if you compare them with the current FIFA rankings, you could see well, Japan are actually quite high in the current FIFA rankings, so I'm guessing that they're going to move inside the top fifty in the in the next couple of months. So all of a sudden, if, once once Japan does go into the top 50 in the required percentage, you can look at them and say, there's now a group of Japanese players that automatically qualify for a governing body endorsement that didn't yesterday um, because any team outside the top 50 is a, is an exceptions panel. And so if you have a club that's monitoring that, and you say, actually, look, it, there's Japan. So that, that five or six players are now, they now automatically qualify. We can get work permits for them. Or similarly, if you had a club that was maybe in they were they were 11th, but you could see that they were likely to move into the top 10. There was a player in that squad that might have mightn't have had the 45% required percentage, but would have had 30% required percentage. So monitoring monitoring the movement of of that is one way of checking it. You can also monitor the players. Um, you can also monitor the players' performances at international level um, to see where see where, where whether he's going to um, qualify in in a couple of months' time. So we had it a lot in last summer where the world cup um the world cup games you might have players that missed four or five games because they weren't selected for the world cup but once the world cup fell away in june those those games were outside the two years required percentage you had a a load of players who you know their required percentage moved moved up enough that they did automatically qualify so there is you know so there's a time so there's players that you can say that for for a definite will qualify in some point in the future because there's no international games scheduled in that required percentage period and the and the, the games that they didn't play in two years ago have fallen away, um, or you can say that they're due to move into the in they're due to move a band within those FIFA rankings. Um, and so if you're, if you're watching them and, rec- and and monitoring them, you can, you can do, but it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's difficult to, it's difficult to stay on top of it.
0: Yeah, it sounds, <laughs> it sounds really difficult. I bet there's some people writing that down going, sorry, you, you, well, how did this percentage, do I carry the one? Do I?
1: Don't, don't ask, don't ask me about maths.
0: <laughs> or me, uh, as you can probably tell by my my explanation of that. Um so so basically what you're saying is then that yeah there's an opportunity it refocuses people's attention obviously greater monitoring over the the sort of uh, the international rankings and um uh, meeting the, the 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 performance criteria um that's going to be it's going to be really interesting to see what happens over the, you know, if anyone pays attention to it, given all the other stuff we have to deal with, with Brexit. <laughs> right. Um, And then is there anything else that you think that we should be aware of, or that's useful to, to sort of bear in mind?
1: Well, I, th- so I suppose I think the other thing that's, that's interesting is obviously the clubs that have invested the most in their academies over the last couple of years are now hopefully about to bear fruit because, you know, they will be encouraged to recruit directly from their academies. And, and, and again, you know i keep going back to think that this is an immigration process and it is based on a on a on a basic skill level so um you know i think obviously with the i don't want to go into too much detail because it's not something i deal with regularly but obviously the transfer of minors um the 16 to 18 year olds is going to be um obviously stopped now well unless fifa make a change um from the 1st of january that's about to change so again the 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 um the emphasis is should be on on developing your own academy and i know there are clubs that are quite excited about it because they said well we've got one of the top academies in 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 england so now you know hopefully we're going to start bearing fruit and we're going to be encouraged to to recruit from our academies and you know again i just the, the reminder is that this is an immigration process and it is under constant review and there will be tweaks and the home office do listen which is which is good and i have to say over Kind of over the last six months um, with with COVID, I, we've gotten how far into now without mentioning COVID, which is quite good. I kind of hope to go all the way through, but I had to hope to go all the way through without mentioning. It. But at the same time, it's it's important. The, the Home Office were very accepting over the summer, where you know we had players that um, we had players whose Tier Five visas were expiring, and they wanted to go and travel during the short period of of the three weeks that they had over the summer. But obviously they would have needed to apply for new visas to return and the home office were just understanding to go look you just submit extensions. And they allowed us to do a lot of things outside the immigration rules just to kind of get through it. So um, it is being it is being con- constantly monitored. We had a lot of issues with obviously players. Can they come in for a medical and then they'd end up quarantining? Um, so there was all those sort, all those sort of issues. So,
0: so you were very busy then. That's what I'm getting from that. That you were extremely busy.
1: Yeah, and we had, you know, one of the other things. You know, we're, we were constantly picking up. Um, we were constantly picking up issues, which is quite, which is good in a way because if you pick up an issue and you can go to the home office and try and find a solution, then it, it's it's nice to be able to say, this is likely to be a problem. But it could, you know, we can we can probably sort it out for you. And one of the big ones was players that had European players that had been based in the UK, but are now loaned overseas. So if they hadn't registered and and applied for pre-settled status under the European Settlement Scheme before the 31st of December, they need to then re-qualify under the new GBE rules when they come back. And so you obviously had a lot of European players that wouldn't qualify under this GBE rules. So you're thinking, well, you know, how how do we get them to register? So, you know. A couple of months ago, well, you know, six seven months ago, this wasn't an issue. You can say, well, we'll just bring them back for a couple of days before the thirty first of December, and then they just go back out. Whereas now they're saying, well, if they come in, they're going to have to self isolate on arrival, but also depending on the travel exemptions and the travel corridors, they might have to self isolate when they go back, which means they miss games, which means they're in breach of their loan agreement, which means we're in trouble. So we've been trying to work around that, trying to get players registered under the pre settled under the European Settlement Scheme. So that's been a challenge, but we've I think we've we've more or less more or less cracked that. But the, yeah, there's there's been and and you know clubs clubs certainly I think they were more engaged in Brexit and the potential impacts probably two years ago or even eighteen months ago. But the last obviously six seven eight nine months has thrown up you know a myriad of other challenges that they've just been distracted from. And you know I think there will be clubs that come kind of middle of January think oh damn we just we just We've got these players now that we've signed, and they, they're they're not going to be eligible to play here. And what do we do? So, um
0: yeah, that's a that and that's a significant warning, right, for everyone that, that is working at a club, and and if you're listening, to make sure you're having those conversations early. And it must be so. I do feel for them, like every other sort of business owner at this moment in time, or any other organisation. They're fighting fires on multiple fronts. Uh, you can, you know, there's only X amount of time, you know, there's only 24 hours in a the day. Then I said X as if no one knows what that time is. <laughs> but there's only like, yeah, I'm still hopeful. I'm still hopeful there's day
1: six. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and games and games, you know, like the, 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 the people at the clubs that normally deal with this stuff with us have just, you know, championship clubs are playing two games a week. Premier league clubs might be playing two games a week if they're in continental competitions. And, like, there's a lot of planning that goes into a match day and especially now with additional um, COVID re- regulations to be kind of, to be, um, and safeguarding to be uh, adhered to. It's just, it's it, there isn't enough hours in the day for this. So where we can take this, take some of the pain out of it, um, we do, but um, it does require a level of engagement from, from the clubs to think, um, you know, Brexit is happening and this is going to have an impact on our business and we need to kind of, Need to get on with it. And I suppose the final point on that is, clubs that historically only recruited from Europe and not outside of Europe didn't have a sponsorship license. Whereas um, now the your your sponsorship license is required across uh, for any hire that isn't uh, British or settled in the UK. Um, so there's that you have to go through that process of applying for. There's a GBE process where the club has to obtain a GBE to get the license, and then they get the license. But also, you know, you can sit down and get a sponsorship license in a couple of hours. But it opens you up to the spotlight is on you then from a compliance and requirement and HR policy process where the home office are going, you've just applied for a license and you've told us that you've got all your reporting requirements and compliance and key personnel. That's all under review. And that's quite difficult for, for smaller clubs that will never have had to do this before. You know, they'll have, to, they'll have had to do a right to work check on their new players. But that's it. That's where it ends. Whereas once you have a sponsorship license, your, your right to work checks become more difficult. Your um, HR compliance requirements become um, more severe. So, sorry, my I understanding this correctly? so sorry, sorry. Are you are you saying
0: that so uh, on top of the GBE, you 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 are you saying you can alternatively need a sponsorship license, or as part of that now new requirement, you need the sponsorship license?
1: No. So so well. So the 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 club when the club is applying for a sponsorship license initially, so you need a sponsorship license to I- to issue. Certificate of Sponsorship to be able to apply for the visa. So, But the club needs to obtain a GBE as well. So the club needs a GBE to get a sponsorship license. Once they have the license, you apply for individual GBEs for players. Once you have the player's GBE, the club can assign a Certificate of Sponsorship through the sponsorship license, and then you use both the GBE and the Certificate of Sponsorship to apply for the visa. Doesn't
0: sound very good news, Stephen.
1: And the only only good news in all of that is that the... uh, (laughs) the, the, <laughs> so we have, we, we have, we we also have, we have as well as a brand new GBE system, we have a brand new immigration system, um, which is kicking into force on the first of January for new people into the UK, or for the first of December for those already here. But the good news around sport is that the Tier Two and Tier Five is there's only very minor changes. They're just a little bit of a rebrand, but the process is the same. Whereas for companies, it changes. There's a Tier Five process as well
0: yeah I'm glad I'm not running a football club at this moment <laughs> I'm not really in time to Cause it sounds like that is because cause i guess I guess so once once you um get up to speed with this, then obviously as you would say once you've got all the systems in place it's not too bad, but then after that um you know sorry in the in the interim period, getting used to all of those processes and terminology and reporting requirements and everything else that you were talking about um I would imagine is is quite um uh, you know, cognitively expensive, right. And, and, um, resource heavy.
1: Yeah. I mean, we're trying to do our best around, especially, you know, uh, you know, a lot of league one and league two clubs won't have been through this process before. So we're trying to contact them and trying to just talk them through the process. And, um, you know, we have a couple of, um, it's not, I'm, I'm not going to be given a sales pitch, but we have a couple of, um, you know, we have the Rockhopper HR business in in Lew which is like a low cost HR helpline, which does your policies and your kind of does um, fixed fee calls and things like that. So um, that's something that's quite useful for clubs because it means they don't have to have on call employment lawyers at hourly rates. Um, and but we're all, and we're also just trying to help clubs by with the sponsorship license process by giving them kind of a suite of kind of background documents. So that they understand what they're getting themselves into when they apply for this for the sponsorship license. Some clubs will already have it because they'll have been in higher leagues, um, but some some clubs won't. um, You know, so Sunderland would obviously have one. They've dropped down.
0: Well, I think I think I think yeah. I think I think there's um that's going to be a sort of a wider trend in the legal market though. He's going to start to see from everyone I'm speaking to at the moment. We're going to start to see that. Um, you know particularly where there's you know, template documents and uh, you know v- very formulaic type of approaches. We've seen this already in you know, across the board also your firm and other firms do a similar thing already, but I think we're going to see more and more of this for particularly where there's, which really is a scale issue. Right, because you know you guys don't have you because you don't have time to do it either.
1: <laughs> I know, and and also, I mean, I suppose you, people look at football and think, oh, you know, they've just spent forty-five million on a player, and or they've spent seventy-five million on a player. There must be loads of money in that, but you know, the legal budget of a Premier League club is not, it's, it's not, it's not going to be even in comparison to, to you know, it, it it's not, the, it doesn't scale the same, you know. Um, so you do have to kind of help out, yeah.
0: No, I agree with you, and we got. I, got, I think I told you I'm going to try and do something a bit more to trying to explain this to people in terms of what the legal budgets are for for various you know just in the in the market I do think there's a, a skewed view that the, you know there's endless amounts of money from football clubs legal team to spend on doing stuff and they really are you know running trying to run very effectively and efficiently with normally quite outside of the the big big clubs you know quite lightweight legal teams in terms of numbers and the same with their compliance divisions and and uh and everything else um that's That's brilliant. you give me a lot to think about and, and dwell on in terms of you know what the future holds no no doubt as well there'll be a whole bunch of workshops by the EFL and the premier League and, and others tried to, trying to assist with this
1: um, I think I was just going to say the only the only final point I was going to make around this was around the exceptions panel and the plan going forward for um, the plan going forward for appeals is going to be if a player doesn't automatically qualify they're trying to take away they 're trying to remove the kind of the, the discretionary element of it as much as possible, but for the next couple of windows they 're going to retain um, an element of an exceptions panel and I think the current system is, a, is even though it 's called an appeal to an exceptions panel it 's an appeal for somebody who doesn 't automatically qualify whereas I think now going forward it 's going to be an exceptions panel it 's going to be on only on an exceptional basis there has to be something like you know, we had one a couple of years ago where a player didn't qualify because he was named on the bench for a an international game, even though he was injured, and it was just because, look, he was at a he was at a um a tournament, and they just said, well, we just name you on the bench even though he was clearly injured, and because he was connected to those games, he was disqualified from his from qualifying for the GBE. So, so things like that going forward, and so you know, we've had ones where a player has fallen out with a manager. And it's just not picked for international games. So I, I think, you know, so, so going forward, it's not going to be just, he doesn't qualify, I'm going to appeal. It's going to be, he doesn't qualify, but he's within a range of points of qualifying. And there's an exceptional reason. And that's when you can, that's when you can appeal. So again, that's going to focus recruitment teams on, you know, we can't just scout everybody. And if they don't qualify, we'll just appeal it. That's
0: be, And in theory, that should hopefully help clubs understand who the better scouts are. <laughs> right like it's a yeah you should should uh be able to be able to sift through who, who's doing a better job Stephen, i think you've done a fantastic job of explaining what is quite a complex to non immigration specialists quite a complex and confusing area and if i'm not speaking on behalf of everyone else i'm certainly speaking on behalf of myself so thank you very much i, I'm, I hope i hope it helped no, i really did help and i think you, know, you raised some good points so the takeaways from there are you know, In theory, this should be great if you've got a good academy and you invest in the academy, there should be opportunities there, opportunities to look across um, other markets. And there may be also some cost savings uh, for these uh, examples that you said where you don't have to just pay more essentially just to get uh, uh, extra points. So um, no, and, and then the other thing was you know, really focus down, advice vice involved, really focus down, make sure that you're being very targeted and intentional about The type of talent that you're trying to bring in rather than just a sort of scattergun approach. Brilliant. That's awesome. Thanks so much for your time. Well, sadly, that's all we have time for for this show, but thank you for tuning in. Now, remember for all the latest legal developments and analysis and commentary of sports law issues around the world, go to lawinsport.com. Follow us on SoundCloud, Twitter, iTunes, Instagram, all the platforms you can imagine. And importantly, if you like what we do, if you're a fan of the show, if you're a fan of law and sport, if you like the community that we're trying to build and the work that we do, please do tell people about it. Please do share it. If you get knowledge from this that is useful to you in your work, please do tell people. Word of mouth matters to us. We don't do any pay for advertising. We literally rely on our reputation and hopefully it's a good one. (laughs) But. Joking aside, if you like what we do, we appreciate your support. Thanks so much for tuning in. Please do share it with people. And other than that, wherever you are, whatever time of day it is in the world, I hope you're having a wonderful day, wonderful evening. And thanks again for your support and for tuning in.